0: here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we have an interview for you with Anne Bogle, the host of What Should I Read Next, the podcast, as well as the blog, The Modern Mrs. Darcy.
1: Yeah, it's so much fun to get to talk to her about bookish things and bookish personalities and just to kind of hear more about how she started her blog and her podcast.
0: And I feel like Anne Bogle is just one of those like celebrity- book people. You know, once you spend a certain amount of time on the bookish internet, you hear about Anne Vogel, you hear about her amazing book recommendations.
1: Absolutely. Every time I mention that we have a podcast, someone says, oh, then you must listen to What Should I Read Next?
0: (laughs) That's very true. That's very true. And so we did a episode of what should I read next with Anne Bogle so once that goes up uh, we will have that linked in our show notes on our website so you can check that out Uh, but today we interviewed her about uh, just the origins of her blog and her podcast as well as talking about her new book reading people so without further ado here's our interview with Anne Bogle So we're chatting with Anne Bogle today. So welcome to the podcast, Anne. We're really excited to have you on. Yes, I'm welcome. excited to be here. Thank you. We have been looking forward to talking to you for a really long time. It's me too. So you do a little bit of everything. You're a blogger and a podcaster, and now you've written your own book. But for our listeners who haven't heard of your blog, The Modern Mrs. Darcy, or your podcast, What Should I Read Next? Why don't we start with having
2: you tell us a little bit about them? Sure. Well, my favorite way to describe the blog is in someone else's words. So my friend described it back to me once as a lifestyle blog for nerds. And <laughs> that makes me happy, even though the thought of being a lifestyle blogger potentially kind of makes me want to curl up in the corner and cry. But it's a it's a blog. And by extension, we have a podcast and we have a book club that is devoted to helping readers. And we are 95% women get more out of their reading lives. And because we believe so much in reading. We think if you're getting more out of your reading life, you're getting more out of the rest of your life as well. So we try to give great book recommendations, book talk. We have tons of avid readers who tend not to know quite as many avid readers in real life as they do on the internet. So we try to be their safe haven for that. And just to spread the bookish enthusiasm, help people figure out what to read next.
1: That's so great. I think it's important to have online communities like that for bookish people. I know that I definitely didn't have a bookish community until I think I was in college, you know, and got Facebook and got on Goodreads and
0: Goodreads like totally changed my life because it's like so many books. And I really like that idea of giving bookish people a place to find other bookish people. I know that I don't know too many super book nerds in my own life. And so I'll have, you know, what we call casual readers come up to me and ask for book recommendations. And they're like, oh, yeah, you like books. And I'm just thinking, I don't like books. My, it's a lifestyle, not really a hobby. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is a true thing. I mean, I'm laughing because it's so true. And I can, I can hear that you get it. So how long
1: did you have the blog before you started podcasting? And like, what made you decide to get into podcasts
2: after you had the blog? The blog was five years old before we started the podcast. Wow. Yeah. People ask my husband all the time, like, and I, you know, I don't know why they ask him. Maybe he's more frank. Maybe that's it. But they're like, oh, so how did you how do you have a podcast that people actually listen to right out of the gate? And I mean, as opposed to like, I think most new podcasters have like their mom and her book club listening. He's like, it's easy. You just blog for five years first. It's fine. (laughs) Um, But it actually was an outgrowth of the blog. So many years ago, I think on a Sunday morning, I threw up an impulse post on the blog that said, hey, people ask me all the time for great books to read. And I never know what to say because it depends on what you think a great book is. Because when people ask for great books to read, they're not asking me to recommend like Plato or Aristotle or right. you know Bronte. They know about those great books, but they're looking for books that they are going to really enjoy that were written in the last however many years. I mean, recently, the last 10, 20, 30 years, not the last thousand years. That are really going to resonate with them, that they're going to enjoy, that they're not going to want to put down. But those books are different for different readers. So when people come to me out of context and say, just tell me something really great. Just tell me about an amazing book. I I would think like, but, 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 but <laughs> I have so many questions. Ah. So that was something I thought about a lot was if, if people want to read, how can they find books that will make them want to keep reading? So working on a theory, I put up a blog post that said, hey, let's give this a try. I explained my frustration with people saying, just give me a great book and said, how about in comments, you tell me three books you love, one book you hate and what you're reading now. And I will give you a few recommendations for what to read next. And we had like 200 comments in a day and I closed them with, Oh, what have oh, I done? Wow. But for a while on, on the weekends, I'd, I'd take on a few uh, reader comments at a time and recommend books for them to read next. But I found it kind of frustrating. I mean, it was lots of fun, but it was also frustrating because I, I'd i want to say like, oh, well, have you read this book or would you be comfortable going with this genre or how does this mm-hmm. topic strike you? But that's tedious over email and it's not the same as getting to actually talk in real time with your favorite readers about books. So simultaneously, I was thinking, wouldn't it be fun to start a podcast? And it took me a really long time to realize that those ideas actually went together.
0: And you definitely tapped into something there, the idea that different people look for different things in their books. And so just being able to recommend books to them, I think you just do such a great job with that. And so you become known as one of the queens of book recommending. You have it down to an art, well, loosely, you know, art. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very loosely. Uh, But you do such a great job. How is it that you find the right book for the right people? Do you have a particular process for that? Is it something that you've just learned over
2: time? This is a situation where I think being a total nerd over my lifetime has really, really helped. I've been reading a lot of books and talking about them for a really long time. Just that incubation process from blogging and especially that series, I think I had had plenty of time to mull over the... Frustrations. Also, I'm a total personality geek too, and I have been aware for a long time that any giftedness—and I'm using that word very, very loosely—I may have in logical reasoning is uh, not of the linear nature. So, any kind of conversation that I could have with a reader that is free to explore widely and randomly, non-linearly, the different points of interest in their reading life was, um, if it didn't make them want to bash their head against a wall, because I wasn't making any sense to them, could be a lot of fun for me and maybe fruitful in the end.
1: I was thinking as you're talking about recommending books to people, you know, we actually get asked that a lot now, you know, now that we podcast too, people are like, oh, well, you should tell me exactly what I want to read. Um, But it's so true that like, depending on, on, who you are as a person, you're not going to like the same books that I like. That's like, I know Kendra pretty well now, so I can recommend books to her pretty easily. But I never really made that connection to personality types and reading and what you like to read.
2: Uh, You know, I'm not sure that I even realized that myself until I was in the middle of, well... I wrote a book about personality that came out last fall, so I was like deep in the personality stuff, but I'm a personality geek. So I just love to read about the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and, you know, where do you plot on the type and where do your kids plot and your husband and your friend? And, you know, I'm a little too into that maybe, but in the process of diving into that, into all that, I realized that um, the circular thinking that I know that I engage in is definitely a hindrance in some fields, but if you're trying to figure out what people should read next, it's maybe not terrible. So that was gratifying.
0: So I also have one of those friends that loves, loves, loves personality tests. And so she says, Kendra, Kendra, you have to take this test. So I sit down and I take the test and I discover that I'm an introvert, which surprises no one. (laughs) So with the Myers-Briggs, I ended up being an INFJ, I think it's called. That is the
2: rarest of all personality types, according to the Myers-Briggs type indicator.
0: That's what my friend said. But for some reason, I know a lot of them. I don't know if we like all find each other so we can sit around
2: and not talk, (laughs) but I don't know. I I mean, it takes all types to make the world go round, but I would totally buy that. I mean, you want to feel understood, right? So you have to seek out those special snowflakes who get you. And I say that lovingly. (laughs) And you're an INTJ, aren't you, Autumn?
1: Yeah. From an INTJ.
2: Yeah, they're
0: pretty similar, but according to Facebook, my personality type is the same as Draco Malfoy's.
2: <laughs> well, you need to find yourself another another chart that can make you a, a less hated character in literature.
0: Yeah, he does struggle a bit, doesn't he? Although, I mean,
2: he has some smarts.
0: But I will say for Draco, he does have some
2: amazing hair. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I don't know that that's a personality thing, but it, it is a silver lining here. Quite literally. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be back
0: with more of a conversation with Anne Bogle after we tell you about this week's sponsor.
1: This episode of Reading Women is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. In honor of Insiders' first anniversary, Book Riot is running a special promotion from April 15th to 30th. You get a two-week free trial of Insiders novel monthly or annual, and there's no special code required. All you have to do is sign up for Novel Monthly or Annual to start your trial.
0: Which this is a really an amazing deal because it's coming up summer, it's coming up fall, and you probably want to see what new books are coming out uh, in the bookish world. And they have this amazing new release index.
1: I've heard you talk it about is it so much.
0: Incessantly, probably, uh, since since it came out. And the one and only Liberty Hardy curates this new release index. And it is probably my favorite feature of Insiders. Um, Full disclosure, I I am an Insider. I signed up when they came out with it a year ago. And one other thing that they have for the Insiders, if you follow Book Riot, you know of the different people, the different personalities that work for Book Riot. And so what they do is they have these Insider-like newsletters different Book Riot employees uh, and personalities write about their just experience and kind of like behind the scenes. And you get to see, you know, how how Book Riot is made and who works on it and what their experience is and also some of their origin stories. Uh, basically, if you love Book Riot, this is kind of like a must, <laughs> a must subscription.
1: And it's amazing that you get a two-week free trial of all of it.
0: Right. And you get to also listen to the podcasts that are exclusive uh, for the insiders so you have uh, one that's for their challenge the book riot challenge and there's also one where they pair up different podcast co-hosts and they mix and match them and they talk about something random which sounds like it wouldn't be as exciting but it really is because you just get these people going off on tangents about fun bookish nerd things (laughs) and it's like right up my alley really Um, and I think if you listen to this podcast you'll also be really interested in that.
1: If you want to sign up for a two-free-week trial of Insiders, either novel monthly or annual, go to bookriot.com forward slash insidersrw for reading women, and we will also have a link to it in our show notes.
0: And, of course, many thanks to Book Riot Insiders for sponsoring this podcast.
1: So you mentioned your book, and so it's called Reading People, right? And uh, it's about different, as we've kind of been talking about, and as you mentioned, it's about different kinds of personalities. So was the book just like an extension of your interest in reading and personalities, or did have you had the idea in mind for a while? Or I guess just maybe talk to us a little bit about like where the idea came from and how that process worked.
2: Sure. The book really came out of conversations with friends that would have, like, uh, they'd know that I was a massive personality junkie, that I love this stuff. And they'd say, okay, so if I just want a book that will introduce me to X, what should I read? I'd be like, well, it depends. There's not really a great primer out there. Do you want to know more about, like, the five love languages or the Enneagram or whatever. They're like, I don't know. I just want a starting point. I'm like, well, there's not one, but if you want to know more about this and that's really how it came out. I realized, uh, that I do, I do love the information I've gotten from uh, many personality frameworks over the years, but that information is not easy to get. Like if you really want to dig deep to get to the, like the really good stuff that's actually going to help you in your life, it takes commitment because mm. you have to find the resources. You have to read and digest them. You have to find the good resources. And as readers, we know that it's not always easy to find good and helpful and useful books in any genre. And that's that's definitely true in this kind of nonfiction. So I ended up writing the guide to navigating this world that I had wanted to recommend to my friends for years, but it didn't exist. I too am
1: a personality junkie, even though I like, didn't really come out in this conversation far because I try not to like profile everybody and I try not to be like that person who's like <laughs> categorizing their friends and I know, being, I know. Like, or being the person going like, what number are you on the Enneagram? But I think that's really cool because it, it is true. Like there's so many resources out there and so many books and so many things that I think it would be really helpful to have like a primer of like start here if you want to kind of get your feet wet in it.
2: Yeah, that's what I was trying to do, especially because what I found in my own life is that some of the personality frameworks, and when I say personality frameworks, I'm talking about the actual tools, like there is the Myers-Briggs type indicator, and there is the Enneagram, and there are the five love languages, and there's the Clifton Strengths Finder, and most people resonate with some more than others, and it really made me sad for the lost opportunity when people would say, like, I," you know... The Clifton Strengths Finder didn't really mean that much to me. I didn't really resonate with it. So I think personality typing stuff is garbage. And I just want to be like, no, 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 no. Let's try this again. Let's, you know, let's try a different framework. Let's try a different approach. Because I do think that some people find some of the tools more useful than others. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the potential for eye-opening, life-changing insights is so great that I don't want people to taste one- not like it or not benefit from it and call the whole thing garbage. So in 200 pages, I wanted to give an overview of what they are, how they work. I share seven of my favorite ones, the ones I personally benefited from most in the book. And there's enough there for you to go on and for you to maybe even type yourself and to know what you'd be getting into. And then I give resources for further exploration with actual vetted best of class tools. And some, I really think everybody should go into like, please, please, please find out if you're a highly sensitive person or not per Elaine <laughs> Aaron's frameworks so that will, that will change your life. And it's so, so easy. The bar is low. The payoff is high. This is a good thing. And please find out if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Um, <laughs> and there's, there's much to be gained from the rest, but some people are really into self-exploration and benefit from that. And some people, depending on their personality, um, (laughs) really don't care that much. (laughs) But if you are inclined to care, I think it's worth the time to figure some things out about yourself and the people around you.
0: I think that's so interesting how the different tools that you mentioned, like what one you like helps your person- you know it's dependent also on your personality. It's like very I don't wanna use the word medics. I feel like that's very overused, but
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I love it yeah. <laughs> so like the five
0: love languages really helped, I think, my husband and I because it was like, how we show we care is different and how we like to receive is different. So I give in a different way and I like to receive in a different way, which really like kind of makes your brain implode, especially when you're newly married and trying to figure out all the stuff. And now it's like, well, (laughs) whatever, like I'm not as much time. And also it changes over time as well. Your Myers-Briggs, mine hasn't changed over the course of whatever, but I do run middle of the road on a lot of different ones. So I guess depending on what test I was taking, sometimes I'm a T and sometimes an F. So I'm not really sure what's going on with that. I, I f- did find that a bit confusing. So I did already know that I was an introvert. I mean, I think I'm a, one of the most introverted introverts like in the history of ever, but <laughs> that's pretty obvious, I think. But then my husband is also an ambervert. Like he needs both of them, which I also found interesting. Do you like, I know this is a slight tangent, but do you have any feelings about like ambervert versus like uh, the introvert extrovert on that?
2: Yes, and it depends on which is is there like a drinking game here. It depends on which framework <laughs> you're talking about. <laughs> because uh, according to like according to the big 5, like a newer framework that's being um, advocated by Adam Grant and other mainstream psychologists, ambivert is a real thing because introversion and extroversion is a spectrum. And I, liberal arts major that I am, think that it is a spectrum. However, it is also true that according to the actual Myers-Briggs framework, you cannot be an ambivert. You are one or the other. And you cannot be like a T slash F. You are one or the other. And the reason is, and were we talking about imploding things? (laughs) The reason is those four-letter types INFP, ENTJ, ESTP, those are just proxies. What they really do is specify the order in which you access your cognitive functions. Everyone uses four in a top-to-bottom deck of cards order, and that type, INFJ, specifies which order you are accessing your functions in. So you can't be an INTJ. J slash P, because those are different stacks of cognitive functions. So for a lot of times when people can't figure out their type, it's because they're taking a quiz on like 16personalities.com or something like that, which is an excellent resource. It's an excellent starting point, but for most people, it's just a starting point. But when you look at the cognitive functions and how they work and what they are, you have to determine what order you access those in, what your inner mental priorities are to truly determine your type. So that's a lot from a lot of people. There's a chapter (laughs) on that in reading people. I recommend everybody read it twice with a highlighter. But if you really do want to recommend or if you really do want to understand Myers-Briggs, you have to understand the cognitive functions. But one, it's hard, I think it's like learning to play bridge. The first time you're like, what on earth is happening? But then you get it and it's fine. You're doing it. But if you want to get my if you truly want to understand Myers Briggs, you need to understand the cognitive functions. For some people, they're like, you know what? I'm out. I don't care that much. And that is fine. For some people, understanding what those functions are and how they use them, like where they excel and which ones they really need to focus on bringing up if they want to really excel in their chosen, uh, profession, for example, if they feel like that might help them there, it's worth the mental investment. And I think we're talking about two hours, not like two years of your life to really understand how this works, but that was probably more than you wanted to know. But a lot of people don't know that about Myers-Briggs.
1: I'm over here, like penciling down <laughs> all of the other.
2: Like wipe up the puddle. No, I hear, I've been there. I hear you. My
0: brain just, I was like, my
2: brain just imploded.
0: (laughs) Well, it's interesting that, you know, and I just learned about, what's the numbers one?
2: Yeah, the Enneagram.
0: Okay. So I just learned about that probably about six months ago. Uh huh. And I don't know, it's just, I just find it interesting how different people come up with the different systems and like how they got there and like why they decided that a new system was needed. And I don't know, maybe I just prefer the context of like the the scientific, like, social context but i don't know it is it is very fascinating and learning about that was i the one who told you about the enneagram no i i was on youtube
1: (laughs) i thought for sure it'd be me like i took i did the enneagram last year and i feel like it totally changed my life like how i viewed myself and i'm a huge fan of that i found that framework to be really helpful for me personally but i think i'm getting us further
2: down the tangent (laughs) I think some people really need metaphors to understand things and people who do love metaphors and analogies love these personality frameworks because it gives them a way to see that's what mm-hmm. they really need. And yeah. I'm saying that as someone who really needs those to see, like, I yes. can't tell you how many times I'll be talking to my husband at the kitchen counter. I'll be like, it's like, there's a tree in the woods. No, 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 no. It's like, there's a flower in the, no, 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 no. I'm just I'm looking for the right mental picture to give you. If you're one of those people. You're going to love personality frameworks. And if not, just find out if you're a highly sensitive person or not. If you're an introvert, extrovert, and move forward in the world, knowing that information, it will help you. (laughs) (laughs) So bringing back
1: to more to book books, what were some of the things that you learned while writing your book? And what was it like to go from like being someone who recommends books and talk about books to like being someone who wrote your own and seeing it from that perspective?
2: Oh, it's really interesting. So as someone who's been involved in the dissemination and um, not really publicity, but kind of, of books for a really long time, um, you know, because on my blog and in on the podcast and everything, we recommend great books. And I think that's usually the royal we there. I just feel the need to spread the responsibility <laughs> around. That probably says a lot about my personality. But um, like we've never taken cash for, you know, we we don't expect accept sponsorships for individual titles like a lot of sites do. We just I share what I love because I love it, because I believe in in reading and in helping my fellow readers find great books. And I felt like as the person who was at my place in the whole sphere of books and reading, I knew what that process looked like. And I have discovered over and over that I have just known enough to be dangerous. <laughs> um, I did not, I did not understand so much of how it works. I didn't understand printing timelines or how books are actually distributed or how orders work or how bestsellers are tabulated, um, what counts and what doesn't, um, how pre-orders work and why they even matter. What will entice a bookseller to carry a book, um, especially if they're a smaller shop? How many books are in an actual physical bookstore or at the bookstores of various sizes? Now I'm at least aware that I only know enough to be dangerous. There's much, much, much more I know or I don't know than I do. Yes, it has been an education every step of the way. I feel like pre-orders
1: is something that I knew nothing about how important it was until maybe a month ago. When how did a- How did that even come into your awareness? Someone, I follow now a lot of like publishers and writers on Twitter and someone was tweeting about it and I was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that it's actually important with pre-orders for tabulating. Isn't it for like bestsellers? Am I remembering that
2: correctly? They all go through on the first day that it's available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that matters. But also for the books, like I have a book coming out September 4th. So now the more people that pre-order my book... The more my publisher will go to retailers and say, hey, people are pre-ordering that. So that is how retailers, and we're talking about everything from the independent bookseller in my neighborhood to uh, Barnes & Noble, Target, Books A Million, how they will decide whether or not to carry an individual title. Are people pre-ordering it? Also, I don't know if you've had the experience, because I certainly have, of going to order a fairly new book someplace online, like Amazon, and seeing out of stock, it'll be back in in two to four weeks. I'm like, that just Mm -hmm. came out. What happened? Well, what happened was based on pre-orders, they underestimated initial demand. And those printed copies are gone. So they put in an order for more and everybody's waiting but if people have to wait, they don't always buy the book. So that is, I mean, that's a nightmare scenario for an author to have their book. That's been out three days and have, (laughs) we're all gone. Wait two to four weeks because demand was underestimated. Yeah. And I just, I had no idea until six months ago, maybe, maybe a year that that's how that worked. No clue.
1: Was there anything that you learned in like the actual writing process of like putting a book together and editing and deciding how to structure it that
2: you learned in that process? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) unlike some of us, I'm not great with structure. I think the same things that help me really draw unexpected and less than obvious connections when I'm trying to help someone decide what kind of books they may be interested in also make it a nightmare for me to impose structure on something I'm writing, whether it's a 500-word essay or a 50,000-word book. But a good essay, and especially a good book, needs a good backbone. I've really learned why traditional print publishing takes so long. I've learned how many different hands are on a manuscript that makes its way to your bookshelves or the bookstore shelves. And um, just how much writing is a collaborative effort. I had no idea before I really went. I mean, I I heard my friends talk about, or other authors on interviews talk about their editors and their agents and their beta readers and their proof, you know, their copy editors. And I heard them, but I really didn't get the extent of it until I went through it myself. I just have a lot more admiration for what, books, what puts the books I love to read in my hands. It's way more involved than I ever imagined when I first fell in love with reading all those years ago.
0: I think that sounds amazing. And I know my friend really enjoyed your book. And I really enjoyed reading about reading about the different personalities. And we could probably talk about it a lot longer, uh, but we, you know, we don't want to keep everyone here forever because it would happen, <laughs> it would happen. Uh, but before you go, you were so great at recommending books and you talk about recommending books to specific people, but do you have any like Swiss army recommendations that you just think that almost in a more general sense, obviously over generalization, uh, but that almost everyone you think would enjoy or just books that you find yourself
2: recommending a lot? Yes, that's a great question. Okay. For book lovers, The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabrielle Zevin has been a big hit. Do you all know anything about this? I've I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Okay. So this is, it's just a feel good story for book lovers, which is what I was told before I picked it up. And I think I was a little surprised how it did get a little bit dark. So now you've been warned. I mean, very vaguely warned, but uh, this is the story of a man who runs a bookstore, who believes that um, books change lives. And it's also the story of a man who has a baby mysteriously dropped on his doorstep that he adopts and raises from infancy in said bookstore. And it's so much fun for book lovers because it's set in a world that we all can't get enough of. This is a bookstore on an island in New England someplace. And uh, it's a love story. It's a story about a father and daughter. And every chapter begins with an extremely, extremely, perfect quote from a book that we either have read and loved or are jotting down on our to-be-read list because of the context (laughs) it's playing in the story. (laughs) And a book about books that makes you want to read more books is, I mean, that's a crowd pleaser.
1: Absolutely.
2: I also really love Amor Tolles' Rules of Civility. It's his debut. It came out uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2011, 2012. And This is historical fiction. It's the story of, let's see, it's set in like 1938 New York City. It opens on New Year's Eve. And it's the story of this unlikely band of friends who are brought together by this chance event. It changes all their lives. And um, the setting is just so rich. Like I can picture the snow falling as they're sitting in the diner on New Year's Eve right before the thing happens that changes everything. And um, I love stories about unlikely friendships, uh, really interesting worlds, the... The protagonist, Katie uh, Content, has that for a name for you. She gets a great job in publishing. So there's that fun angle. And what I really love about this is it's a literary novel. It's very well-crafted. It's set up very well. The structure is beautiful. Um, The prose is really well-crafted. But it's also a page-turner. You want to know what happens next. And that combination of really great, prose, like really solid craft, and oh my gosh, what happens next, is those two don't always go together, but they do in this book. And something I also like about this book is it has a high rate of success for being loved by women and by men, which... I get a lot of questions from my readers who are 95% female, like, oh, what should my husband read on spring break? And a lot of times I'm like, I don't know. Hey, Will, husband, (laughs) what do you read now? What should he read on spring break? But this is such a crowd pleaser that both genders often enjoy it. And I like that. sounds
0: like the unicorn of books.
2: It's hard to find. (laughs) Hard to find. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. My husband and I have a book club together because our reading tastes rarely overlap. So we decided to actually sit down and do this, like enforce like (laughs) group reading that books that we both enjoy. And of fiction books, we rarely like the same books, but we did like books like *The Snow Child* um, by A.O. and Ivy and stuff like that. But yeah, I definitely now I need to go get him to go read that. Maybe I'll add it to our list. I finally read that for the
2: first time this winter, and I really enjoyed it.
0: It's so beautiful. beautiful.
2: It's so good. It's so good.
0: I definitely have a huge author crush on her. If I met her, I think I would melt. <laughs> that was not a pun, but it is a pun, isn't it? <laughs> well played. It totally was. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Anne, for coming on the podcast. It was great to have uh, this clash of the uh, the bookish podcast, and we greatly enjoyed having you on the show. It was my pleasure. Thank you for
2: having me. It was great to talk books.
1: We really it's had good. a lot of fun. Thank you. you. Had the best time.
0: We had a great time talking with Anne Bogle, especially, I think, all the personality stuff that I learned, which I'm not especially a personality nerd, but I could feel like she could convert me to learning more about it.
1: Yeah, and I really love that her book gives you a high-level overview of all the different kinds, so maybe you can figure out what type is best for your type, if that makes
0: sense. It does. It does. And I really would also hearing her book recommendations and learning more about how she learns about personalities and how that how that goes into her podcast and how she recommends books, was just really a great, I don't know, behind the curtains look at how she, you know, works on her podcast.
1: Yeah, she's really sweet and fantastic. And we will have links to Anne's book and to her website, Modern Mrs. Darcy, in our show notes. So if you want to learn more about her book or her podcast or just follow along her, her blog which is really fantastic you can follow those links and learn more about her and we also want to say a special thank you to book riot insiders for sponsoring this episode and as always you can find reading women on all the social media channels at the reading women and you can find kendra at katie winchester and me at on a private thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon bye
0: guys